we could keep going. But I, I think I'm supposed to preach, but I'd like to keep going. That was, that was great. Thank you. Thank you. Man. Power in the presence of the Holy Spirit and power of his blood that saves us, saves us from death, hell, and the grave. It's so, so amazing. Thank, thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Welcome. And welcome to anyone who's here for the first time. We are here to talk about Jesus, Jesus and all that he has done for us. He is uh, the center of our faith. He is all, he's our all in all. And we're going to talk about how Jesus knew the beginning from the end. Jesus, uh, last Sunday we talked about him, how he in scripture is called the author of our faith. Our faith, the, the whole of it, all of it, what it all means that Jesus is called the author of our faith or the author of the faith. And that name and that title for Jesus, it comes from a letter in the New Testament that was written to uh, Hebrew Christians. These were Jewish people who had come to Christ. They had turned the corner. They had put a... They had put behind them all the things that they had done to earn their place with God, and they were following Christ. And this letter to these uh, Hebrew Christians in the 12th chapter gives us this title of the author of faith, and it's part of an encouragement to these Christians who were under the weight of various trials and temptations. Because let me tell you, as a Christian, life isn't perfect. Now, there might be some who preach to you when you come to Christ, it's everything's going to be just perfect. But we still live in this fallen world where we're tempted and trials come our way. And so the writer to these Hebrew Christians said, you can endure and you can persevere. And let me encourage you about what you can do if you've fallen into some besetting sin. You can look to the author of the faith, and that's Jesus and his name was specifically put in there. Look unto Jesus, the author of the faith, who did not despise the shame of the cross. No, he went willingly to the cross to die for you. And if he could suffer that, listen, what little things we endure here, they're nothing compared to what Jesus did for us. So when you're struggling to endure and preserve, persevere during hardship, uh, follow that passage. Look unto the author of faith. We talked about how Jesus was that author, how he wrote it all, how he conceived and envisioned this great plan from the beginning of time, the plan for redemption. And he brought it about. He put himself right at the center of it, the core of it. No man or woman dreamt that up. No way. And there in that, in that 12th chapter uh, of the letter to the Hebrews, that term, that Greek term that's used, it's, it's rendered author in a variety of English Bibles, but it's also translated as the initiator, the maker, the founder, the originator, the one who designed. I love that one. I love that line where the one who designed the faith, Jesus, he fits it all. He fits all of those things. I don't think we could come up with enough titles or superlatives for Jesus who did it all. And he is the author of our faith. And he brings us the greatest book of all time. This, this is the book that brings to us 
all that God has done for us. And it is the greatest book. We talked about it a lot last week. And we talked about authors and writers and books. And when you're in a good book, you ever get immersed in a good book? Where, you know, there's just, the author is excellent. And when you're in the middle of a good book, and the, uh, it's a great writer, that author is taking you somewhere. They're, they're taking you somewhere. Have you, you ever been in such a book, and it's just a page turner, you can't put it down. Now, just imagine for a second, you're reading such a book. One of those, it's, it's, it has drawn you in, it's three o'clock in the morning, because you've been reading for hours, and you're just not gonna put it down. Because you know it's taking you somewhere and you want to you see where it's going. The plot is so good. Now imagine it's building and it's building and it, your expectations are going. You're expecting it to get to a point and you know, you know for a fact, it's all going to culminate. The whole climax of the plot, it's going to culminate in Detroit. You're reading this book and you just, that's, you're expecting it and expecting it. You just know it, and you're getting closer and closer to that point. And then you finally flip the page, and you know, yes, that's where we're going to be. And it all comes together in Kalamazoo. Now, now you're sitting there, and now it's 4 o'clock in the morning. And you, you say, I didn't see that coming. That's not what I expected. That's not what I expected at all. I mean, you're talking to yourself. You're saying it out loud. How are we in Kalamazoo? So here you are. You're, you're at the end of the book. And you're saying, well, how? It doesn't make sense. So you, you go back a chapter. You go back a couple chapters. You go back to page one. Oh, yeah. Oh, there it is. Oh, I'm, I'm, I missed that detail. Yeah, wow, I can't believe I didn't see that. And you keep flipping. Oh, well, that, yeah, there, that's it again, yeah. Detroit, no, it's Kalamazoo. I thought for sure it'd be Detroit. It's a bigger city. It's on a bigger river. It's got more industry. Ah, that little town. But there it is. It's, it, it's all right there. And now, now you, you've revisited, you see it, it's, what a great author, what a great author. As we look at the life of Jesus this morning, we're, we're, at, a similar, we're at a similar place in, in his book. His life is about to come to a climax here on earth. And many of the people of the time they knew what the author had written. They thought they had it all figured out. They knew what to expect. The Jews of Jesus' day, they were looking for something. Today, the day we commemorate, which is Palm Sunday, we wave palms and we remember that there were people in the city of Jerusalem, they had packed into the city of Jerusalem, and they were looking uh, for something in Jesus. They saw something in Jesus as he entered the city riding on a colt. What were they looking for? Well, God had promised a savior. Now, a good Jewish person knew the book. They knew the book. They called it the law and the prophets. 
The law and the prophets told of a, a savior king who would come to their rescue. The law and the prophets told of a coming ruler, a prince, someone of royal lineage. Uh, there, there were these prophets that talked about uh, the scepter would never leave his hand. Well, that's a king. It's a king for sure. They had that figured out. It had to be a king, and the king would have great power to subdue the people's enemy and, and save them from destruction. That's what the book told them. So they were waiting, and they were watching, and they were expecting a savior king. And as they waited... They had lost their independence. They were under the rule of the occupying Roman forces. So the people were expecting and looking for one who was going to conquer Rome. That's what the king would do. And all four gospels now give the account of what's called Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as he came to the great city to celebrate for his final time here on earth, the Passover uh, meal, which was a, a high holiday for the Jewish people. This was, this was to commemorate God's saving of the people out of Egypt. They were going to commemorate this, and Moses had initiated the very first Passover where the last plague of Egypt, the, the angel passed over, the angel of death passed over Israel and uh, it struck Egypt, and, and that's when the Pharaoh said, just get out of here. And So here it was, the commemoration, the Passover. It's the city of Jerusalem where the temple uh, of the Jews was located, a city of about 30,000 in population. It swelled to 300,000, 10 times its population. Some estimate up to a half a million people smashed into the city. John's Gospel records the reactions of the people as Jesus approached the city. Let's read John 12, 13. It says, they took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So suddenly, with Jesus astride a colt, the crowds of people overflowing in Jerusalem, they became excited. They waved their palm branches, they laid them down in front of Jesus, and they hailed Jesus as a king. Blessed is the king of Israel, the, the crowd cried. and Jesus entered Jerusalem on this wave of populism. The people saw their king. That's who they were expecting. This is the one that's gonna restore the kingdom. They saw the king who would pull them out from under the Roman oppression and occupation and save them. That's the literal meaning of Hosanna. Hosanna is this Hebrew word, and we still say it like hallelujah and Hosanna. They just, they lived on and we, we say them. It, it literally means pray, save us. Hosanna, save us. So they're crying out, save us. They're focused on being saved and saved from their Roman oppressors, they're so focused on this king that's going to pull them out from under the, the thumb of Rome, they missed. They missed what they were truly supposed to see. Now, Luke's gospel tells us what the people missed. Let's read that. This is Luke chapter 19. Again, this is the account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem from an, 
Another of the Gospels, we're going to look at Luke 19, 37 to 44. And that says, when he, Jesus, came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry it out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So here are these people, they're, they're hailing Jesus as a king, but they missed something. They knew the book. They knew the book. But they missed something. They missed something so profound, so profound that Jesus wept. Now, one might think Jesus would be overjoyed. He's coming in the city. They're saying, oh, Hosanna in the highest. Praise to the king of Israel. Blessed to, uh, to, to God in the highest. One would think he'd be overjoyed. A crowd shouting ad adulation, but here Jesus is, overwrought with emotion, weeping, weeping over Jerusalem. This day... It could have brought you peace. You could have had peace, Jesus said. Peace with God. They could have had peace with God. Death because of sin could have been removed. Jesus said, though, it's been hidden from your eyes. The author of the faith, the divine mind, the one who conceived it all, this great, great way of salvation, one that no man or woman could have ever, ever come up with. Jesus knew. He knew. The crowds had missed it. The masses wanted a conquering king. That's what they were expecting. But the king that was entering Jerusalem, he wasn't going to overthrow this nation or that government. He, he wasn't going to knock down or conquer a, a Caesar or a Pharaoh or a king. No. He was going to conquer something that no person could ever conquer. He was going to conquer something no one could ever defeat. Jesus was going to conquer death. This is what he was going to defeat. Now, when the first man and woman sinned, what followed was death. They had been tempted. They'd been deceived by Satan, the great serpent. The man and woman sinned, and then Death. Then death came. Death is what needed to be defeated. But the people hailing Jesus as king as he entered in Jerusalem, what did they They wanted earthly comforts. That's what they wanted. That's what they expected. Oh, take, take the yoke of Rome off of our neck. Oh, free us. Make us independent. That's, that's what they longed for. They longed for their independence and they had read, they had read the law and the prophets. And, and they had come to this conclusion. 
here, this miracle worker, the miracle working man uh, who had come, he certainly had power. He'd be the one that would win them their earthly independence. And Jesus cried. Jesus wept. You just don't see it. Would they flip back? Would they, would they have that, ah, I didn't see that coming moment? Did they realize what they were expected wasn't happening? Would they flip back and maybe reread? Maybe reread like from, oh, here's the prophet Zechariah. Oh, let's, let's flip back to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. He is righteous and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Oh, well, the people, may, maybe they'd flip back and they'd say, yeah, yeah, well, we're rejoicing well enough. Yeah, we're all shouting Hosanna. We're shouting to the king. He's coming on a donkey. Well, that, that's what it says. He, it'll bring salvation. Well, he, he's got to be the king that's going to crush Rome then. The, the book says so. The book tells me that. It, I, we just read it. The book says the king's going to come. He's going to bring salvation. Well, maybe we should read it again. Does it, does it mention Rome? Does it say anything about Rome? Does it say anything about... Be- Hold on a second. Didn't mention Rome, but, but the Romans had taken Jerusalem by force. And the miracle-working man was coming into Jerusalem on the colt. Everyone's shouting, it's all lining up. It's all lining up. Surely he's going to be the one to defeat Rome. It's got to be. It's got to be. But what does the book say? What else does the book say? Maybe we've got to go all the way back to the front. Maybe we've got to go all the way to the earliest pages and be reminded. Let's look at the first salvation promise of God, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's, it's in, the, first, it's in the, the very first few pages. Genesis three fifteen, The Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now this was God speaking to the serpent, the tempter, Satan, the evil one, the, the, the deceiver who had lured the man and the woman into besetting sin and brought, brought death and death came into the world. The author had written, that the woman's offspring would crush the head of the enemy, the serpent. And it doesn't say nothing about Rome there. Now the people were in the grip of sin that brings death because they had fallen to this tempter. It wasn't about being in the grip of Rome. In this law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament, the salvation brought by the promised king from that first promise, it's, it's all about conquering the consequence of sin, and that is death. It's in the book. It's in the book. Now, now they were expecting something different, but they needed to go back and check it. The, the offspring of the woman, and that was later promised to be the king. Yes, Zechariah said it's going to be a king. That's Jesus. He would crush the head of Satan. 
Jesus would bring salvation from sin and death, yet most missed it. In a week, in a week, those same people are gonna be, they're gonna be shouting, crucify him. They'd see him crucified. I don't know, maybe they'd be saying, didn't see that coming, didn't see that coming. How could that be the climax of what God promised? What is that about? How could he be our king? They didn't see it coming. They didn't understand what was written. They did not understand the author. They didn't. They didn't. Well, then Christ died, and he rose from the dead. He, uh, he poured out his Holy Spirit, and understanding came. The writer of that letter to the, the Hebrew Christians wrote what we might call the rest of the story. And let's read a bit of it. The second chapter of the letter to the Hebrew Christians, verses nine to 11. But we see him who has been made a little lower than the angels, Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God he should taste death for everyone. For it became him for whom, all, for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many children to glory to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brothers. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brothers. The next line says, I will declare your name among the congregation. See, the writer of Hebrews recorded this. Now we see him. Now we see him. What do, we, what do we see? What did he say was seen? Jesus suffered death for everyone. The cost of sin is death. Jesus died in our place. He died for everyone. So here, this, this is, okay, let's look back. Let's look at, let's go to page one and start putting it together. Jesus did this, and he is the author. He's the author of salvation, that, that Greek word used in chapter two, it's the same one used in chapter 12, the author of faith, the author of salvation. In other words, it was his plan, it was his idea, he conceived it, he designed it, it was from his heart. We read uh, in chapter two there that it pleased God, it was by the grace of God, the grace of God, his mercy that Jesus died for everyone. And it says, Jesus, the author of salvation, was made perfect in suffering. Well, let me say it a little different way. Jesus was the perfect final Passover sacrifice. That's why he, that's why he died on Passover. Moses was told to sacrifice a lamb. That's why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Final, done, died for all. And it's all in this it's all in his book that he authored, he wrote, but so many miss it. Jesus, the perfect, the perfect one, gave his life for everyone. And when you come to that conclusion in your 
very own heart, when you can say, I see Jesus as the one who took my place and died for my sin, on that day you can say, I have peace with God. My death because of sin has been removed and I have eternal life. When you can declare, Jesus is the one who died for me. He suffered the death I deserved. Then Jesus won't be ashamed to say, I'm your brother. You're my brother. You're my sister. I will declare your name. I will declare your name. That's Hebrews 2.12. I'll tell others your name. That's Jesus, the author of our faith, the author of salvation. The, the author of salvation from sin and death. It's amazing that he would call us brothers and sisters. We become part of the author's work. It's, it, it's truly, truly from a divine mind. And, and when we realize that and we see it, we know we're alive. We know eternal life is ours. And then we can tell the story. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss what Jesus has done and what he will do. And yet there are some, yet there are some who say, yes, I've seen Jesus as my savior. He's my savior from sin and death and, and I have eternal life. And yet they still want the earthly king. They still want the earthly king. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who had a hearing with Jesus. He said, are you a king? And here's, here's the response from Jesus, John 18, 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus did not come to threaten Caesars or pharaohs or kings or overthrow governments. He, he, he could have. He could have. He told Pilate that. I could have my servants fight. I could use force like the kings of this world, like Rome did, to take over Jerusalem. But no. He's not a king like the kings of the world. He's a king that's mighty to save. Mighty to save. You know, we were singing, he's mighty to save. You know, that's from another prophet in the book. Just flip back. Zephaniah said, he's mighty to save. Zephaniah chapter three. And, and that prophet, he wrote, our Lord is mighty to save and he'll rejoice over you. We sing other songs about he'll dance over us. This is from that prophet. He, Jesus is so enthused. He's so overjoyed when, when one comes to, in, to him and sees and recognizes that he is the author of salvation, that he is mighty to save. He'll rejoice over you, Zephaniah said, with loud singing. It's just so truly amazing. What an image. That's our king, the author of our faith, the author of our salvation, who will say, we're his siblings. But so many who receive Jesus, they still desire the earthly king. They want the earthly comforts. Oh, yeah, Jesus will give me this or that, and I'll have, you know, the, the biggest this, the biggest house, the more money. Don't miss how the author of salvation described his kingdom. 
it's not of this world. He's not a king as we would expect. And don't miss that. He is a king, righteous and having salvation, lowly and humble. The subjects in his kingdom must not expect him to satisfy with money and possessions and power or some other entitlements. His subjects must not expect him to overthrow an earthly regime or some government or bring all the comforts of life. No. This is a king that forgives sins. He gives righteousness. He delivers from everlasting death. And he bestows the Holy Spirit in eternal life. And there's no king on earth that can do that. And there's no earthly comfort that compares to that. The kingdom he established on earth is not of this world. It's by his word. And it's by faith. And he's the author of it all. So read it. Read it. What are you expecting of Jesus? Read it and flip back to the beginning and, and then read, read the end. Get into the New Testament. You know, read things like Peter wrote. Don't be, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're now in. As if it were something unusual. These things happen. It, it doesn't mean that life as a Christian is miserable all the time. No, but that we experience these types of things. And Jesus didn't come to just give us all the comforts of life and pamper us. No, and that's why in Hebrews chapter 12, which we talked about last week, it says, if you need to endure and persevere, look unto Jesus, the author of your faith. And be able to say, be able to say like it, it says in that letter to the Hebrew Christians, I see him now. Jesus, he suffered death for me. He's the author of my salvation who will call me a brother or a sister. I am his sibling. See that, Jesus. See that king. See the author of your salvation. Have that image in your mind. 